0: Entry 124.IS6517 Certificate number 34308 Biosphere 2
1: Hey! There's no doubt here! Oh God, here we go. Olivia, which with this door It's not open?
2: Of course it won't open. That door won't open again for an entire year. (laughs) Nothing comes in, nothing goes out, not even air. Take a Sherman tank to open that door. Hmm. Mm. So what you're saying is... You can't get out. We're stuck here? Yes.
1: For 12 months? That's right. 12 months? 52 weeks. Yes.
2: 385 days? Yes, yes, yes. So what you're really trying to say is... ah!
1: Now you know what the Biosphere 1 is, don't you?
0: The funny thing is... I didn't at the time, when I was hearing all the news about Biosphere 2, I was in junior high, I want to say, when it started making the news, and it was really treated like moonshot like on cable news this was a big and exciting scientific endeavor for these new our new desert astronauts
1: that's right and the it just assumed you just assumed i'm guessing that biosphere one
0: yes was like some earlier prototype or failed version or one that i had missed because i was too young and i think i only learned a few years ago what biosphere one is which is earth like we're we're living in
1: biosphere one that's right that gives you a sense of the kind of a, like aesthetic of the people behind Biosphere, that they, they wouldn't want to call it just Biosphere 1 because there was one already. Also, maybe hubris. Like, you like
0: Earth, but check out our sequel.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, we have improved. You're absolutely right, though, that it was um, it was a major event, cultural event, and people without hyperbole did describe it as equivalent to uh, the race to the moon. Really? Yeah, because it was it was an enormous undertaking and it was assumed to be uh, maybe, uh, I mean, the next step in our evolution.
0: Uh, well, the thing about going to the moon is it's very hard right. to get there. It's not so hard to walk into a series of tents and domes in the Arizona desert. It's, it, it, on the face of it it seems a little
1: less adventurous it seems a little summer campy but the idea of sealing the doors and and really building the biosphere so that it had um, an unprecedented level of sealedness from the outside so that i mean it was it was a structure that set all kinds of new standards for uh, the degree to which there was no transference of air or any other kind of substance from inside and out. And the idea that you could create a self-sustaining ecosystem within a closed structure was as hard, if not harder than building a rocket and going to the moon. We'll we'll back up here for,
0: for a future audience for (laughs) whom needle scratch sound, you're probably wondering how I got into (laughs) biosphere too. Er like imagine a future audience for whom Biosphere Two is just you know for for whom our time is also a, a ruined failed biosphere in the desert right uh, Biosphere Two was what and where paint the picture for us
1: well uh, where it was is easy to say it was um, it was built basically on a on a three acre plot in a place called Oracle Arizona. Uh, it was built over the course of several years, from nineteen seventy or I'm sorry, nineteen eighty seven to nineteen ninety one, and it was a private venture to build um, a habitat which could support a population of humans independent of uh, of any kind of. Like transfer of material from Earth. That the idea is it would be utterly sealed off. Utterly what sealed. What happens off. in Biosphere
0: Two stays in Biosphere Two, so including respiration.
1: You would imagine, including respiration. So you would imagine uh, it as basically a space station, but still on Earth, just in case everything went crazy wrong. And that's what we were supposed to envision, right? That right. if this works, you just you can put it on the Moon. You can put it on Mars. When it was initially conceived, it also still was in the what we now know to be the waning days of the Cold War. But at the time, that wasn't clear. Mm. 1987, I mean, this was conceived over many years before. Um, It still seemed possible and maybe even probable that some population of human beings would need to survive in a, a very polluted and toxic environment on Earth. Um, we think about it as a as a science fiction thing or something from Dr. Strangelove where a group of high-ranking uh, military and government people would retreat to some underground cavern. But that would only sustain a population for a very short amount of time before the, uh, the food ran out and the oxygen became impure.
0: Well, we're doing okay in our bunker here. Right. But, but we, we certainly we've... don't have the natural beauties of – of biosphere, 2.
1: and we also you know we do go out and hunt uh <laughs> we hunt washing bears, and we still have your uh, <laughs> half a
0: side of beef from when you right.
1: conned your elementary school <coughs> but this was um very similar to our underground bunker, kind of posited as a uh as a, a the, the first stab at building a a spaceship of some kind where human beings might survive a cataclysm and either populate space or uh, survive throughout a cataclysmic event and then reemerge to terraform uh, desertified Earth.
0: What would the cultural markers have been back then for like kind of the megalomaniacal Bond villain plan to like have this kind of an – Arc. It's in Moonraker, right? Right. The guy's got his little orbiting Eden. Right. Hugo Drax. Are there other uh, like what are the other well, fictional predecessors of biosphere? I
1: mean, a lot of a lot of government work went into building not, non-fictional attempts at it, but um, but the difficulties in creating a like a small-scale functional what is effectively an organism which is to say let I me mean, a habitat is an organism and this was uh this was during a period where this this idea this mentality that earth was um a spaceship was was if not in its infancy certainly in its in its, I mean, we're still in in a period of kind of formulating that consciousness. We're, so, we're
0: still reckoning with it,
1: and a lot of people on Earth still reject the hypothesis. But it was kind of faddish in the '70s, right? This new idea, the GIA hypothesis but, uh... Yeah, I mean, Earth Day began in 1970, and during the during the announcement of Earth Day, the the idea of Spaceship Earth was i mean certainly not introduced but 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 referenced quoted it was and 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 a lot of that earth as a single organism was also it, commingled with the idea that there could be a united nations a one world government right. you know, it was one planet one people we're all in this together right.
0: where else would we go
1: buckminster fuller popularized the idea um, although it, you know, it existed back to the
0: 19th century. Well, it's and it's certainly uh, accentuated by the astronauts. Like every right. American astronaut looking back into space would just suddenly turn into a, a blubbering little pile of the vienna sausage gelatin right. and <laughs> as they
1: just, as they wept at they the beauty
0: should of have Earth. sent a poet if you yeah. could just see it from up here god there's no borders <laughs> it's just one beautiful breathing thing in the vast because they're really confronting how vast and inha- uninhabitable everything else is you know right and you see this thin web of life i guess from that perspective and you think Every everything we do is a huge, misguided waste of time. Basically,
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's so fragile. And you're right. I mean, the astronauts were all Navy pilots, and we were we were asking them to interpret this uh, metaphysical experience uh, for us in terms <laughs> Are of Are you like- saying
0: if you had a if you had a question about <laughs> metaphysics or the universe, you would not first go to a to a
1: lieutenant uh, <laughs> a colonel in the or I'm sorry, a lieutenant commander? I have questions about the meaning of life. Well, Roger that. <laughs> 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 uh, let me just uh, roll back the throttle here. Uh, well, a poet it seemed to be maybe um, maybe exactly what we needed. And that brings us to a man uh, no less than uh, John Allen, who was initially trained as a metallurgist. And was metal, working. Is he a time traveler? He's a metallurgist. He, he's a metallurgist in the 80s. It, no, in the 50s. Oh, he's an older guy. He's an older guy. He's a. He's sort of came of age in the immediate aftermath of World War II, and during this period, he became kind of uh, a union organizer within the within the, the company where he worked as a metallurgist, and then gradually became through the the sort of left-wing politics of unions became radicalized, increasingly radicalized. And during the early 60s period, that uh, that meant that he potentially, I mean, during the early 60s, you could be a metallurgist and then a union organizer and at some point along the way take LSD. You could and be a, then, hippie, a hippie metallurgist. <laughs> all of a sudden, Why not? your life turns around. Uh, but he did become a kind of... Early adopter of the the foggy realm in between hard science and new age conception was uh, it kind of
0: fueled by eco concerns? Was he an early environmental guy? That's he the was right period for that.
1: He um, he was in some ways a uh, I mean a, a classic sort of uh, almost. Gump-like character, although not. Uh, Who did he hang out with? Not really. Did he meet like Louis Armstrong or not, something. Not really Gumpy, but in fact he did. in In 1963, he uh, decided that he was going to travel the world, and this was an era of uh, of of high adventure of this sort. And so he went out. He went off on a kind of, I mean, w- what you would maybe describe as a hitchhiking adventure. He went to. Uh traveled all around Africa. He went to Uzbekistan and Afghanistan, India, Nepal, Burma, Thailand, Malaysia. I thought you were going to say like Colorado. This is, this is very ambitious for this guy. It was. And uh, here's, a, here's a quote from, uh, from his Wikipedia, which we never consult in the process of doing this show. But I thought that this was a, an elegant sort of uh, condensation of his trips. Uh, he mixed with the Berbers and the avant-garde literary coterie in Tangiers. He set up a painting studio in Fez. He hitchhiked from uh, Tangiers to the pyramids. He lived with the tribal chiefs in Sudan. Uh, he went to. Uh, he traveled with the refugees to the Ron of Kutch in India and the, Pakistan. I don't know where the Ron of Kutch well, is. We'll save that for a, a future episode of the, the Omnibus. We haven't done any Rons of anything. Uh, he lived on a junk in uh, in Tonkas with the Hong Kong boat people. He worked as a journalistic stringer on the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Uh, he he basically took in every kind of National Geographic destination that you could find in 1963. But while in Tangiers, he became uh, well acquainted with William S. Burroughs and Paul Bowles and became kind of integrated in that Beat period expatriate community that was, uh, you know, experimenting with literary ideas uh, of multiculturalism and, and again, a kind of a a premise that a mix between European colonial culture and ancient traditions could produce some greater understanding of both. Do you see yourself – in this guy, you traveled the world in
0: your youth. You were in North
1: Africa with the Berbers and the uh, coterie. It's true. And I was pursuing a similar kind of revelation. I I, uh, I mean, wh- the first time I was in Tangiers, Paul Bowles was still alive. I was ask, and, was... and I knew a girl who, uh, like a, uh, a girl I was pretty well acquainted with that went, knocked on his door and became part of his entourage for a time made trips on his behalf to Europe, became, you know, uh, uh, not maybe his intimate, but uh, perhaps even that. She certainly was uh, a a radical. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think
0: that – like you think if you'd had different hashish or whatever, you would have come up with building a – a glassed-in Epcot-looking ecosystem in the middle of the desert.
1: Well, I didn't. I didn't find in that uh, in rubbing shoulders with the Beat Generation that that it resonated quite with me in nineteen eighty nine as it did with people in nineteen sixty nine. You were a little late. Well, a little late and a little bit uh, maybe jaded by by what I what I saw as the aftermath of their of those first experiences. But um, but John Allen. But then, John Allen really uh, put his money where his mouth was, and uh, and started to write poetry. Started to write novels. He, um, throughout the '60s, he wrote uh, all kinds of sort of adventurous, literary, sort of beat influenced works under the pen name johnny dolphin (laughs) uh you know johnny dolphin johnny dolphin did
0: he have a saturday morning cartoon show that doesn't sound like a beat poet
1: (laughs) good old johnny dolphin uh writing some you know writing some like hipster uh scat poetry he does sound like an animated
0: character who's who's like some captain planet type who's going to find the the evil industrialist and shut down their their polluting new factory
1: well, and, and if you think about that kind of cultural uh, uh, amalgam of someone who and, – and, and I guess amalgam would be an apt word for a metallurgist who, who became a, a hippie philosopher. But at the time, we didn't have – or at the time, there weren't the same kind of negative associations with New Age as being something that was intrinsically unscientific. And you could, you could in a sort of Timothy Leary uh, environment, if a Timothy Leary biosphere, you could kind of posit these new age theories using scientific understanding as a um, as a as a, a backstop for it. I mean, uh, the idea that DDT was being consumed by Raptors and making their egg shells so thin that they couldn't reproduce was a, was a novel concept, and it spoke to and uh, to the idea that ecosystems were were interconnected. And if that were true, then uh, you know, a sort of a butterfly flaps its wings in China, and and it has f- effects on potentially like the the viability of the human race.
0: Sure. Like chaos yes, theory is one, one area where new agey sounding ideas actually turned out to be good and complicated mathematics and science. Right. And you know maybe if the new age people had just gotten a better press agent, we wouldn't be so quick to discount stuff that sounds like that today.
1: Well, and I think what new age suffered from – it's, uh, you know, a, a lot of people that didn't have scientific rigor in their thinking and sure. brought in a lot of stuff that couldn't be demonstrated, a lot of... Uh, Plus the music was lousy. But there was a, well, you know, it depends on how you feel about the music of the spheres. I hate but, it. I hate the music of biospheres. I think uh, I think the attempt to integrate the beliefs of ancient cultures as, as if there were some um, lost wisdom there also introduced a lot of spiritual pseudo scientific kind of um you know mescaline influenced but revelations
0: like we should have stuck with the plants that actually cured something instead <laughs> of the plants that just
1: made you see new newly invented colors but uh but John Allen uh again being being a person who really um who really did did the work uh he opened a place called the synergia ranch in santa fe new mexico and santa fe has always been a mecca for people that um are you know living under copper tubing pyramids and uh but also writing beat poetry and doing pretty clever paintings of vaginas you know it's a it's a counterculture Locust. The last time
0: I was in Santa Fe, I was listening to a seminar by a, a guy who goes into the desert and finds like very soft sandstone, like mm. half sand, half sandstone, and just digs these amazing cathedrals into the earth. Just him and him and his little metal tools. He mm-hmm. scratches out these giant grottos, mm-hmm. and I thought, this is exactly what you come to New Mexico for. That's for right. this guy,
1: Kumbaya. Uh, well, so the the Synergia Ranch was attempting to do actual uh, biology, actual sort of uh, groundbreaking work in in developing kind of ecologically sustainable agriculture. So this was also a period of of big ag in the rest of the developed world and you're starting to get your first pushback to that you're starting to see some of the downsides well what's interesting is that that uh that industrial sized agriculture was producing incredible results globally i mean the, we were facing global famine at a certain point and it was industrial scale innovation in pesticide con- you know and uh and fertilizer new plant hybrids that that's right in the biology of plants that suddenly meant uh, that we we were getting a tremendous increase in productivity of land, but there was a lot of um a lot of pushback as we realized that pesticides went into the ecosystem and didn't just disappear they started killing things downstream and and hybrid plants then pollinated um outside of the confines of their of the fields where they were planted. You know, it started to have
2: reverberative effects over the whole ecosystem. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, $20 off your first box when you visit ButcherBox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's ButcherBox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout.
0: We've talked many times on the Omnibus about kind of the dawning realization that... It's not you know, the the our biosphere is not just an infinitely absorbing pool that just sucks everything up and can fix anything, that it's finite, that stuff can be exhausted, that stuff can be permanently
1: screwed up. It didn't occur to anybody before the twentieth century. No, and in fact the original conception of spaceship earth, the way it was described in in writings of the nineteenth century and early twentieth century, was that it was inexhaustible. Um and it was only during this period that we started to realize, wait, the, there are – well, because this was the very end of the age of exploration, right? John Allen is, is traipsing around the world, um, but, we, but there, there no longer really was terra incognita in the same way. The spaceship metaphor is much stronger if it's actually limited. And we were actually trying to survive on spaceships, and realizing how fragile, right? You know how small and how confining, and how uh, how desperately connected to Earth we were. Uh, Alan then, in the mid seventies, founded the Institute of Ecotechnics, which was again uh, like a pretty novel approach to uh, to combining technology research and. Ecology. Research. Does he actually have a? He's a metallurgist. Does he actually have a degree of any kind? He does. Oh, uh,
0: John. He, he is a man of science of of some kind.
1: Uh, he he is. So he was. Um, let's see. He. I mean, he is a member of the Royal Geographic Society. He's. Uh, what? Let's see here. He. He worked for the Corps of Engineers as a metallurgist. He went. Uh, he has a degree from the Colorado School of Mines. He has a master's degree in business administration from Harvard Business School. Whoa, uh, he has, that's right. He has um, he has a certificate in advanced physiological systems for engineers from the University of Michigan. And um, so he's got academic credentials. He also studied anthropology and history at Northwestern and wrote uh, wrote some papers at Stanford. So he's... um, Not
0: just an autodidact weirdo. No, he's... He's deeply connected to these different
1: academic uh, disciplines. He is, and at a time when it was still, I think, maybe more possible than today to... um, It was an era of breaking out of silos and becoming kind of polymathic and 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 finding respect within the culture and that, that that's never been really respectable within mainstream or or uh, traditional culture right and you can see why like
0: it it if you're a generalist then any given specialist only understands 5% of what you're saying it's very threatening to a specialist to deal with people who are outside the silo
1: right and our culture prefers some uh, prefers an expert yeah rather than someone who is because i think if you pursue generalism to its logical conclusion you become a philosopher um and you know nothing it's right the
0: generalist knows a little about a lot of things but the next step is philosopher knows nothing about everything
1: and and i think uncertainty is a key element to be truly educated, and you can be a specialist, um, and if you're if you're sufficiently siloed, experience n- no uncertainty, deep deep <laughs> surety about everything you say. And the more the more broadly educated you are, the more uncertainty is introduced. Oh yeah, I'm not against uncertainty. No, like, no, no, I, no. I,
0: I say that with admiration to philosophers. I know that, that they know what they don't know. I'm very uncertain about uh,
1: your relationship to uncertainty, um, but. The uh, the Institute of Ec- Ecotechnics was kind of part and parcel of a of a global kind of movement during the early seventies. Right, you had um, you had Jacques Cousteau, you had Noah doing all kinds of of um, weather research about you know the formation of cyclones and cloud seeding, and there. Uh, there was a ship associated with the Institute of Ecotechnics called the uh, the Heraclitus, Ooh. and they roamed the Earth. Um, they they went uh, around the world on three separate round the world voyages. Uh, sailed up the Amazon, but and they weren't just doing science study; they were doing ethnographic study. Oh wow! Meeting so also drums. That's right, meeting people and recording their stories and. Chasing humpback whales and really a holistic idea about what science was. It sounds like this guy just wants to be on a on a boat,
0: <laughs> talking to Amazonians and looking at river dolphins, and he's willing to reverse engineer or whatever. So I don't know how this gets funded, but
1: well, and what they were, but they were also doing things like planting, you know, tree replanting. Uh, they put they planted forty thousand uh, new trees in. Puerto Rico, and you know we're trying to do right. eco work. Well, all of this led up to uh, and and this is this is very much all centered on the synergia ranch. Um, it led up to the the idea of creating a biosphere, uh, an enclosed experiment where. A lot of these ideas, a lot of this research would be put into practice. They had – they and their cadre had had accumulated a considerable amount of data about how these systems worked and how they interacted. And the proof of concept would be to build a system that that functioned, that made enough oxygen, that sequestered enough carbon, that – that uh, that recycled waste and water to uh, to the degree that there that it didn't build up toxins and become a
0: death bubble. He seems uh, like somebody who's very devoted his connection to Earth, and it's interesting that his impulse here is to like break that connection. You know, like he's not some uh, Carl Sagan type eyes on the always on the horizon guy who's thinking about the 21st century and Mars. You know, like. This guy goes from planting trees in the Amazon to trying to cut himself off from the biosphere altogether just to see if you can.
1: Well, because I think he hoped that that research would would, um, would then allow us to, to see our own biospheric system.
0: Understand the connections better. That's right.
1: And preserve them. Uh, but he did make a, a, a mistake – uh, which we'll, I'll get to in a second. the uh, The Biosphere Project was one that was going to require a lot of. It was it was going to be a big project, and he partnered with a man who had spent some time on the Synergia Ranch, who happened also to be a billionaire by the name of Ed Bass. And Ed was a kind of Texas guy who inherited a lot of money and was and was good at money, but had but, uh, but also found a lot of the the Ecological sort of um, environmentalist research uh, found it very appealing. It was in, it was in his nature to pursue, and he's he a, was, he's a philanthropic guy. He's looking right. to do good with with the money, right? And he was he was intrigued by uh, the Synergia the Synergia Ranch. One one of the uh, the things I hadn't mentioned about John Allen is he also founded a traveling theater company. <laughs> As a, and and used theater as a way of introducing these notions into other cultures. The the, the company was called the Theater of All Possibilities. Oh no! So he had he, he these poor uh,
0: South Seas Islanders or whatever had to watch him do marionette shows. About. Yeah,
1: right. And and I think in 1969, that would have that would have uh, seemed a lot more revolutionary and have a lot more potential to again communicate with cultures that had you know non scientific cult- you know backgrounds this was a this was a way of of communicating through sure puppets or mime
0: and i guess it's new so it doesn't seem flaky to them it just seems idealistic can idealistic. you imagine i, I kind of wish i was a person who could see all this stuff as idealistic instead of flaky
1: and there's still there still are and I'm, I'm sure even there are some futurelings who are saying what are you talking about the music of the spheres is real but it was and you know and this was uh also a time when cultural anthropology hadn't lost its um hadn't lost its sheen of of uh rigor and interest mm. you know so so um so the theater of all possibilities also appealed to Ed Ed uh Bass and he or, uh Ed Bass no he was the guy from the
0: How low can you go Ed, Ed, Ed Bass. Bass you were saying Bass
1: before I was I think it's Ed Bass but it wasn't Ed Bass one of the new kids on the block you thinking of Rob Bass <laughs> anyway, No, Rob Bass is my that's my father's name uh, so together, they um, they put they put together a business venture called Space Biospheres Ventures, or SBV, and uh, with the idea that that a privately funded um, sort of incorporated science business could build the biosphere, not especially with the idea of profiting monetarily from it. But more in um, more in keeping, maybe with Elon Musk's space program, uh, a, a thing where it felt like this is this is what an energetic billionaire would invest his money into.
0: There's also a real godlike appeal to creating a competing biosphere. You know, like if you can if you can start that flywheel going and create essentially a sustaining sealed Earth and sure. life web.
1: Like you know, futurelings may worship at the temple of Allen and Bass. No
0: one else has ever done that before, beyond whatever creator you believe in. Like, think, what an ego trip! Like, what an aesthetically pleasing thing to be able to set that in motion.
1: Well, and if you if you sit here and and uh, reflect on it for a moment, it, I will. It is um, it's incredibly appealing, even to uh, even to picture being for instance, one of the pioneers of it. We're now talking in our culture a lot about a manned mission to Mars. And a lot of the talk around the manned mission to Mars uh, is not just about how to create a self-sustaining community, but also a self-sustaining community where people don't return to Earth. Um, And a lot of people that, I mean, even people we know, have put their names in as – as potential Martian right. astronauts.
0: I, I'm willing to go and
1: not come back. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and people, friends of mine have surprised me with um, their willingness to be at the, you know, the bleeding edge of that. You're like, really what? You don't want to know how game of Thrones comes out. Like What about your kids and stuff? And they're like, ah, they'll be grown. Uh,
0: that was a big part of biosphere though. I remember, you know, you would have the right stuff thing about the, the new pioneers, the biospherians. Mm-hmm. Walking down the hallway in slow motion, ready to enter their new life. Well, and this is what
1: captivated the public uh, imagination. And in in um, in 1991, uh, eight biospherans dressed in biosphere jumpsuits.
0: Jumpsuits. It's always jumpsuits. See, yeah, this is, is how I know they got it from Bond movies. <laughs> uh,
1: they entered. Uh, they entered the first biosphere, and. Well, With,
0: the, the second biosphere. They, they were already in the first you're right, biosphere. You're right.
1: They went from the first biosphere to the significantly smaller second biosphere. Yeah, they're really, they're really trading down. The idea of the biosphere uh, of the biosphere was that it would have the following components. Uh, a rainforest, an ocean environment. <laughs> an ocean. That's ambitious. A mangrove swamp. Well, You've got to have a mangrove.
0: Like, you know, I've been house hunting. You got to have a mangrove swamp, well, and
1: actually, I've been looking at a place that has a little mangrove swamp. I'm, I'm, it's pretty appealing. Is that true? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, and and it's right next to a savanna environment too. <laughs> so you really get the best of both worlds. Uh, there was a fog desert oh, environment, right?
0: Like uh, the like the Atacama, yeah. where it doesn't rain, but the the moisture comes in off the ocean, and that sustains succulents and things.
1: Right. And then uh, and then a, a, an area for human you know, uh, there's a kitchen and some bedrooms and,
0: and a, like a club. It's a, yeah, a little bit of
1: a club. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a gaming room, it's a cafe, kind of like your, your TV room in the basement of your house.
0: And they really think they can squeeze all these, like on earth, you know, one of the things that powers all these things is they get, you know, you get vast square miles of rainforest and vast square miles of ocean, but they think that you can just put it uh, 20 feet
1: away and it'll work. Right. In different, In if you, if you look at uh biosphere two, it, does have several kind of um, different habitats that are connected through tunnels. I mean, they're they're meant to interact with each other, but also keep a kind of discreteness from one another. Um, there was a uh, built built into the structure was um, were a couple of buildings that could expand and contract because in the like course, an well, they were called the lungs
0: of the uh, building they wouldn't expand and contract every 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 five seconds, like an actual
1: lung. no, 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 but in the course of a day and night, you would have the sun would cause an expansion of right. the air, and
0: you're going to have to have that, yeah, because would. there's nowhere else for it to go
1: right uh, it was um, they you know they pioneered kind of a novel construction technique, one that that created, as I said before, the most completely sealed building ever constructed where there really was not – I mean, there was, a, there, there was necessarily a small bit of transference of air from inside and out just because you couldn't hermetically seal a structure that large. But it, had, it created the least amount of permeability up to that point. This is the dream of dads everywhere who have ever been like, close the back door. <laughs> I am not paying to air condition the backyard. Well, and and air conditioning. I mean, you needed to create. Uh, there, it was a. Uh, yeah, I mean, one problem is you're
0: putting all this in under the Arizona
1: sun, right? Right. So, and this ended up being part of the problem because although, because we in order, in order to create oxygen and and food, you needed the effects of photosynthesis, but also you could create just a. a Magnifying glass that just burned everyone like an ant. So
0: the glass—that what happened? All the photo—the bacterians died immediately the first time the sun <laughs> crossed the the glass uh,
1: roof. No, they glazed the glass, uh, and uh, in in order to try and um, make it seems hot, uh, slightly less hot. But what that ended up doing was letting less light through to photosynthesize, and so the plants didn't produce the oxygen that was. That that maybe it was predicted they on, would on paper. Uh, some of the environments didn't uh, flourish more than others. The um, the rainforest did well, but it didn't. The sunlight wasn't sufficient to penetrate down to the, to the the bottom layer, so it didn't have a kind of you know it didn't have the ferns at the bottom. They thought it would. Uh, they probably planted all this stuff and had to watch it die huh well there was a they, lot they of- weren't
0: starting from from bare ground like god did they 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 brought in stuff from a nursery in phoenix
1: right it was it was um there were challenges of all kinds for instance condensation within the building meant uh that the the desert kind of turned a little it was a little wetter than they expected and so mm. the desert didn't didn't it became more of a, um, a just a, a wetter desert? Whatever, whatever a desert uh, is that gets periodic prairie? rain. Uh, yeah, something. I mean, the savanna and the desert became less distinguished from one another. They imported a lot of species. There were, oh, there were animals. There were pygmy goats. It's there very eden little pigs.
0: They should have been naked. That's that's my take on the biosphere. The biospherians should have been naked. They shouldn't have. But well,
1: after they closed the door, who knows what they did. Uh, and a lot they they uh, they they did what's called species packing, which is they Whoa. they knew that there were going to be some die-offs, and so they they put more species in there with the expectation that they wouldn't all survive. I see. So you start at a high level, and everything die instead of bulking it up. People it dies down to whatever the right curve is to get the life cycle. Right. There were chickens. There were. You know there was there was a lot of uh, I guess what you would call protein. And- Imagine the goats signing up for this. Like,
0: are you sure you want to sign up for it? Yeah, no, but
1: but what you're gonna you got kids. You're never coming back. Oh, you've got kids. Uh, boo! But yeah, like but I'm says, giving you a lot more bells than you deserve. It says
0: thirty five. I, I don't think the bell is a reward. I thought it was a punishment. <laughs> Like 35% of the goats are going to die. It's in the... Th- no, it's fine. I'm going to give it a what shot. What ended
1: up happening was all the mammals died. Oh. Uh, like soon? E- well, I mean... How the- long did
0: this... I-, I actually don't remember the contours of it. How long did it actually run? This was
1: meant to be a two-year experiment. Uh-huh. And it... it it. Uh, well, so... Uh, I'll explain. Uh, unfortunately, they introduced an ant species that uh, outcompeted all the other ants and and became a kind of invasive pest. Super ant. Somehow cockroaches got in and proliferated. Uh, so it's, it's, you try to seal it, but... Well, I think what happened was they sealed some cockroaches in. This happened
0: This happened to God, too. Like, you know, Earth gets created, and then new DNA comes in on
1: meteorites, and right. that's probably us. Well, yeah, and you get, like, bad cowboys. I mean, I don't think God intended that there would be skateboarders, but here we are. They're everywhere. <laughs> uh, one of the other complications was that it was a uh, it was a corporation, and although it was headed by a kind of uh, this idealistic person in the form of John Allen, um, he he made some mistakes in in uh, how the how the publicity around it went. We we uh, who were watching it on CNN and excited about the prospect uh, imagined that this was a almost a contest, uh, the people that went in and were sealed, this um, this needed to be a kind of—for it to be a success at all, it needed to be complete—it needed to succeed in its intended mission. Um, John Allen, very, uh, very publicly early on, described it as a refugia. Like Synergia, but— for refugees, well, as a as a place for people to survive an apocalypse, mm. and that created a lot of hostility uh, to the idea because it seemed like a like a rich man's yeah. The
0: implication is everyone else
1: will die, right? And if you can afford to build yourself a biosphere two, um, that you you have a chance of living, and it really alienated the media. Who were incredibly critical of Biosphere 2. You know, they watched it like a hawk to make sure that they didn't violate their own premise. I mean, rich people do build their own Biosphere like Edens. I mean,
0: sure. is, is it jumping ahead to point out that Jeff Bezos has used some of his Amazon billions to
1: build one right in the middle of? Central Seattle? Well, I mean, the entire nation of New Zealand is infected with a plague of American billionaires who have decided that New Zealand is uh, the one the most place likely to, survive. to survive. And so they move there and buy these massive uh, estates where they build their apocalypse bunkers and they have helipads built into their San Francisco uh, you know, office towers that will take them to their weird global hovercrafts or whatever. I mean, there really is a kind of billionaire prepper community now I was in um, I was in I've, I've been
0: in Jeff Bezos's balls you know right. his, his big glass kind of uh
1: I've been to his space stew. thing I, I his, know
0: you've been to his space <laughs> thing.
1: have you been to the balls yet no they won't let me in the balls
0: you got to go in the balls I have a friend that works for Bezos that says he can get me in the balls I think I now it's open one day a month or something yeah. I, I was doing a, a I don't want to be there with others I was there with others I was doing a benefit for the library but uh yeah it's it's a big terrarium. for people and he lowered a giant fig tree into this big glass biosphere thing and he broke it like (laughs) like, it broke the sphere or the tree he broke the tree it's like a a massive branch of the tree is missing because it turns out it's very hard to lower a giant amazonian fig tree or whatever it is well i could have told you that into your
1: monument to ego on sixth avenue (sighs) well in this case public opinion drove john allen off the board Oh. And he handed over control to Ed Bass. Um, the team within the Biosphere 2 uh, comprised of eight people, four women and four men. They had a lot of work to do during the day. Um, and they suffered from, over time, what, is, is, um, uh, what it had been discovered a long time before was... Uh, was a problem with Antarctic research stations. You know, in, in Antarctica, you go there in the uh, at the uh, during the summer, the, the the southern summer, and then you're basically frozen there, inaccessible to outsiders for the for the length of the uh,
0: the southern winter. And you leave the next summer. It's like a year
1: posting. That's right. right. And what ha- what what they know about. Antarctica is that people often the community there will divide into factions. The 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 kind of proximity to other people and your dependence on them and your isolation just naturally causes emotional. Uh, antagonism between Oh people. so it's not connections
0: being created between different people it's actually resentments It is <laughs> driving people apart. And, and, you have two kinds of people
1: enemies and people you tolerate for now. Right. Or or I mean any like small differences between people get amplified um it's it's something that's studied a lot now because of these long these potentially long space missions. Um you can't afford factionalism and what happens is the people in various factions continue to to do the work that's needed. They continue to cooperate in order to maintain the system. But they uh, their relationships decay to the point that they. There's not speaking. They don't talk to each other. They're like. Is they it really despise Is it one better
0: another. if you bring in people that already know each other? Or does that just like. Can you just end marriages in Biosphere?
1: Well, I, they're. they're they uh, there were people going into Biosphere Two who were already friends and uh, and associates. I mean, they were all scientists of a kind. Was there sex in Biosphere? Uh, well, like NASA I mean,
0: says, nobody's ever had sex in space. It seems and there's lots of sex in Biosphere One. That's it seems what I like there. Well, as far as you know, but, but I don't know about
1: Biosphere Two. There's a lot of of of. Uh, uh, we still have a lot of questions about what happened in Biosphere Two. <laughs> there are no babies. There are no Biosphere babies. No b- Biosphere babies. That, and, would, that and, would
0: upset the delicate balance of life
1: they were there for a couple of years one problem was that the they were not able to arrive at a at a uh, a sustainable oxygen production too much or too little too little oh
0: well that's not what you want
1: it's not uh when they when they started biosphere uh it uh, the environment was about 20 percent oxygen when they started and that's that's a healthy amount of oxygen, you know, most of what we breathe is nitrogen. But over the course of the experiment, they got to a point where there was only 14% oxygen, which is the equivalent of being at about 14,000 feet. And yet all the mammals died. Most of the oxygen breathers were
0: gone. It was the people hogging all the oxygen and they still didn't have enough.
1: Well, the plants weren't weren't getting enough light to really photosynthesize yeah. within the system. Carbon was building up. And part of the idea of the savanna was that it would grow grasses and they would cut them and that would be a part of – they would then sequester carbon. Sync carbon, yeah. Uh, one thing that they didn't anticipate that happened um, – uh, that, that only was discovered kind of late into the experiment was that the concrete that was used to build the biosphere 2 was reacting with the carbon and creating calcium carbonate Within the environment, so like more too much carbon, they, they're having a greenhouse gas problem in a literal greenhouse. That's right. Oh wow! Um, one of the crazy things is is that they actually managed to create a, a sustainable ocean reef system. Like they had a coral reef. They had a coral reef. Wow! And much of the science, much of the study of the coral reef of Biosphere Two, went. On to inform our knowledge of coral reefs globally, because we've got warming seas. I mean, we've got all the same problems, and and more science was done on the on coral reefs in Biosphere Two than than any other place. Wow! They, so so it did have a little legacy. Well, it had a, it had a considerable legacy. But what happened as the oxygen levels decreased is the the idea was introduced. Now, well, well, wait a minute. We don't want to. Do we don't start, want. They should just start killing off the humans one by one. That's my opinion. We don't want people to die here. And the two factions of biospherans uh, the, split. Do they have names? They did. Well,
0: the, no, no, not the Biospherons, The factions. Well, was yes. Like the
1: jets the, and the sharks. The factor, factions were named after the kind of people that led them. Um,
0: Team Bob and Team Greg, or something.
1: Jane Pointer uh, was one of the uh, was one of the scientists and her her co- her group believed that the benefit of biosphere 2 was that it be an incubator for science and they were succeeding at that and the idea that they be sealed into this place for 2 years was not necessary for this still to be an incredible scientific environment ah. and she felt like that was just a publicity stunt and but does the other team think she's insufficiently devoted to Sparkle Motion? Yes. Uh the Alling group felt like the whole idea was to create this environment and if the, at the first sign of oxygen depletion you opened up all the windows, you had uh, you had effectively canceled the 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 Alling the guys are willing to
0: die. If needs be. They're willing to suck up their own carbon dioxide to keep the purity of the
1: results. And I, feel, I admire that. I feel like they felt like they like this uh made it even more crucial that they solve the the ecosystem problems. But the news media was watching um I think in some ways hoping it would fail, looking at every detail, making sure that there was no you know at one point someone had a medical emergency and had to come out through the airlock and when they went back in uh they were carrying some candy bars in their pockets or whatever and there were there was a whole hullabaloo about whether or not that invalidated the the science um well, it depends on what kind of candy bar I think like right. how much new carb carbon can you sequester in nougat but during this same period um there were corporate level problems the uh, the board of directors this the the, uh, the sort of structuring enterprise group was also criticized for not being scientists and for although it there didn't appear to be a direct profit motive um, they were making decisions based on criteria other than w- certainly what alling and her group thought were the the money's coming from from them and from their wealthy donor class that's and, right. and they're they're protective of it right uh in the end uh they survived the the two years but um but at you know at, at the cost of all of their relationships. And um, they thought they were going to keep going to the lake together every year. And- at a certain point, they did start injecting oxygen in from outside. So they they didn't succeed in their in the pure attempt to create a biosphere, a second biosphere. But um, and so in in that sense, uh, the Pointer group was validated. But at a certain point, uh, Jane Pointer was such a divisive character within Biosphere 2 that the board of directors ordered her to leave, fired her. She's been voted off the off the Biosphere. She she was voted off the Biosphere, but she refused to leave <gasps> because she knew that in order to force her to leave, they would have to send sheriffs into the Biosphere, which would have also, you know, ruined the experiment. She really has them over a barrel. That's going to happen on Mars too. A right. Lot of, a lot of these uh,
0: Navy guys, you set them up on another planet, and they're suddenly they're going to have ideas. Sure, one of them's going to turn into
1: a skateboarder, and they're going to be like, "Well, how do we get him out of here?" <laughs> uh, and he's going to be like doing kickflips. flips,
0: cowabunga, and- <laughs> dudes. He keeps like messing up moves while they're trying to like
1: call NASA. So Pointer stayed in the experiment to the end, estranged from everyone, but um, or estranged from. The people that weren't the member of her faction and, uh, you know, had been had been canceled, but
0: (laughs) refused to go, refused to go. It's like the Seinfeld where you just refuse to be fired.
3: Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele and even singing. start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n dot com slash start at the end of that experiment
1: biosphere became a kind of uh, science incubator but then they they attempted to seal it off again having learned what they Having, and now knowing what they learned,
0: this is after two years. They're going to run it back. Yeah, biosphere
1: two squared. And the idea, uh, what, you know, kind of what what uh, what Ed Bass said and what John Allen said was the first time we did this, we it wasn't like a, it's supposed to test, uh, the, this perfect knowledge that we had. Like this was the first time this had been it's tried. a work in progress. And and everyone agreed a lot of science had been accomplished there, even though. It was a sort of non-governmental non-govern- and also sort of not endorsed really by any university or, you know, it wasn't peer-reviewed really. Right. Uh, but they were doing science. That explains the candy bars. In 1994, in March of 1994, they uh, undertook a second biosphere.
0: And how, what do you call Biosphere Two Two? Is it Biosphere think, Three? Think is it Biosphere, biosphere Two? two the saga continues. Yeah,
1: okay. Biosphere Two uh, Electric Boogaloo. Um, but they so they sealed themselves up and almost immediately um, began to have lots of problems with the corporate structure of the the overarching enterprise.
0: The is this no longer.
1: Bass it's, and Allen in charge. Or? It's Bass still in charge, but um, but the you know the the business end of it, and then the philo- philanthropic end of it starts to come unravelled because there are a lot of you know there are a lot of banks in play, and it's um, and they they really didn't have any cohesion of the of the team as a whole. Okay, um, and so. Even though they'd only sealed themselves up on the 6th of March, by the 1st of April, Bass removed himself from the board and hired Steve Bannon. Wait. A Steve Bannon or the Steve Bannon? The Steve Bannon (gasps) to come in as head of the new, I guess, receivership organization. organization uh that took over space of biospheres ventures did he immediately kick out all the non-white biospherians he immediately began looking at it at, looking at the the project as something that he could create efficiencies by eliminating uh certain expenditures what was he, he was so he was some finance guy he was back then venture he, he capitalist was just, uh, he's yeah. just some vc dork just some some money guy from california and he had the trust of of Ed Bass, but uh, immediately lost the trust of all of the Biospherans. Um, during the period uh, of transition, the CEO of Space Ventures, a woman named Margaret Augustine, who happened to be married to the commander of the Biospherans, the, the second group, the second yeah, batch, Norberto. Alvarez Romo uh Alberto or I'm sorry no Norberto Stevan is not worried about people with Hispanic names invading uh, biosphere? Well Norbert, God I'm having a hard time saying his name. Nor Norberto left the biosphere. He just uh, gets up and leaves because of some unidentified medical emergency uh Totally not connected to the fact that his wife had just been fired as the CEO. Wow. And so there was, uh, and, and, a, and another couple of people left, um, or at least one other, sort of, and was replaced by another biosphere. And this is in the first couple of months. Biosphere in disarray. There was a tremendous disarray. And then Abigail Alling. The, the previous, the previous, the uh, we don't care that much. Faction, uh, the one that was, um, no, the the faction that was the most hardline. Oh, they're like, don't open the window. They're the don't open the windows faction. Right. Okay. She and Mark Van Thillo, who was another one of the original uh, biospherans, um, came and insisted that Steve Bannon and his group were risking the lives of the biospherans because they were cutting necessary systems. Bannon and his group cut off all communication uh, with the outside world and biosphere. They, they changed all the passwords. So only Bannon and his team of, of uh, bankers could communicate with the biosphere. Previously, they could speak to friends and relatives on the outside world. Well, wow. and also the media and Well, that's so going to be a mutiny. Well, except the, the Biospherans were being told some information that, that, uh, that wasn't clear. Wow. So late at night, Abigail Alling and Mark Van Thillo show up at the Biosphere and start breaking windows. From outside. From outside.
0: This is like on a reality show when the people from the first season suddenly come back and start making trouble.
1: Yeah, they pry open the doors – uh, with a crowbar and start yelling inside like you're not safe you know you're come out or whatever like they you know they're trying to
0: it's like it's like liberating monkeys from a primate research lab or something <laughs> right except they're human monkeys
1: uh all of this led to in on June 1st of 1994 uh, the corporation or space ventures was dissolved and uh by September 6th of 94 just a just a few short months, um, six months after they went in, uh, they came out, and Steve Bannon remained in charge of of an empty biosphere of an empty biosphere for another year and a half. That's a good metaphor for him. And eventually, the biosphere was taken over by Columbia University, who used it basically not as a enclosed biosphere, but as a it's like a retreat center as a garden, <laughs> yeah. Just... Uh, and then it it passed through several hands. It was uh, it was scheduled to be turned into a yeah a retreat, like a new age. They were going to build a whole housing development around it, and it would be a tourist attraction and kind of just a you know yeah, I guess a skate ramp. Um, a lot of skateboarding in this story for you, but in the end, it was uh, it was rescued. By the University of Arizona, who initially took charge of it, and then through endowments and through pledges from alumni, um, it became wholly owned by the University of Arizona. And they
0: what, they put the volleyball team there or something? What no, they, it, what can, do they do it, they're
1: it? using it as a as a science center, and they're. I mean it it has it has produced a tremendous amount of peer reviewed science in the course of its existence. And and I think it still has a, a lot of value to the scientific community as an incubator of different ideas. I mean, you, people are still studying coral reefs there, as crazy as that sounds, that it's in the Arizona desert, but still doing this work. Western civilization
0: has taught me that I should see all stories through a lens of, like, the destruction of hubris. And then redemption? Maybe. Not necessarily. <laughs> if it's a tragedy, there's no redemption. <laughs> But uh, but is that the takeaway here from Biosphere Two that you know we we were like Frankenstein we tried to play God and it turned out the web of life was too fragile and complex for us to try to interpret and so we built a monster.
1: No. Okay. Uh, uh what the I think what the takeaway is uh, is that hubris has only proliferated. The idea of a manned mission to Mars is. Um, I mean, you can only carry so much macaroni and cheese in your Mars spaceship. You're going to have to. Most spaceships have zero, zero macaroni and cheese. Oh, no. A lot of spaceships have macaroni and cheese. The Millennium Falcon doesn't have macaroni and cheese. How do you know? You don't know what's in all those those compartments (laughs) underneath. It's
0: not canon that the Millennium Falcon has macaroni and cheese. What are they? I mean, they're eating something.
1: They're eating blue milk or something. Yeah, blue milk, which is a necessary component of space macaroni and cheese. I guess that's true. Maybe it's blue instead of orange. Uh, there have been several biospheric uh, uh, projects and attempts. Uh, in Russia, as early as 1972, there was something called the BIOS-3, which was not a closed system, but an attempt to build a functioning uh, biosphere project. Um, in 2007, something called the Mars 500 was also built in Russia, which was another attempt to kind of... Oh, I thought that was a stock car race. Uh, the, no, it's the, a, it a candy bar, the Mars 500. <laughs> Mars 500. Um, in Cornwall, England, which is down by Penzance, sure, a place that you would...
0: Land's End, southwesternmost England. Yeah,
1: a place that if you're in England and, and, uh, and they shake it, you're going to end up down in Cornwall. <laughs> uh, in 2000, a sort of Biosphere 2-like complex called the Eden Project was opened it's a major tourist attraction and uh, i mean it has like sculptures and a light show i mean it's still part of this family of is this science or is this the epcot center but it's very popular place in the uk and it's a it again is trying to uh, build a habitat within a an interior habitat and then there are various research stations here on Earth. There's the Flashline Arctic Research Station and the Desert Research Station in Hanksville, Utah, which I'm sure you've visited many times.
0: Oh, man, I love uh, I love going to the Maverick Quick Stop in Hanksville.
1: I'm just kidding. I have no idea where Hanksville is. Well, the Flashline Research Station is up in Nunavut. There's one in Antarctica. All of them trying to create environments that live, Resemble Mars. I mean, they're they're located rather in Mars-like areas, and they are trying to be spacecraft, where right where the inhabitants of these research stations will put on spacesuits and go out into these desolate. I uh, you know, the one in the we're Arctic. We're definitely on Mars. Over the one in the Arctic is called White Mars, uh, because the because it's <laughs> that
0: Steve Vannon loves that one.
1: It's, <laughs> It's an Arctic desert you know
0: it sounds like we're not ready to go to Mars that's what I'm getting from all this well like uh, like you know there's no there's no backstop the, all uh, you know Miss Alling can't break into uh, a Mars
1: no uh, base if the oxygen gets low the I think the notion of a of, a, of peopling Mars still relies on the idea that they that the uh, the astronauts would be supplied from Earth. And it's so expensive to get stuff into orbit. That's just not it is. feasible, right? And so this work, I think, is continuing, as as indicated by these all these uh, experiments. People around the world are trying to build systems that could create oxygen-producing, food-producing, uh, carbon-sequestering environments in um extremely hostile inhospitable land
0: but we're for now we're stuck here futurelings we speak to you from a time when we are still imprisoned on this one little lowly planet and That's i don't right. i don't know what it does to your uh sometimes when i'm in hawaii i start to get like island fever i'm yeah. like I, it's too small i got i've seen everything i gotta get go back to the mainland
1: and we're just here on a big blue marble I, in
0: space And that concludes Biosphere 2, entry 124.IS6517, certificate number 34308, in the Omnibus. Futurelings, are you unpopular? Do you pop out at parties? Please allow social media to cure all your social ills. We tried it. Uh, It didn't work. I'm kind of tempted to do a Biosphere-like project just to get away from uh, the internet.
1: Well, we have one here at the omnibus bunker. My son, oh, but our inter- we still have internet.
0: My son went to Lake Kavanaugh Oh, we did last weekend, and uh, he came home and he was like, you know, it's really it was really refreshing just not to look at a screen.
1: He said that as
0: he was for looking a couple, at his couple screen. days. He said to me, but then the follow up was, how come we don't have a cabin? I was like, come oh, on,
1: busted! Why don't you have a cabin? I don't want a cabin, fancy pants. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it'll fill up with cockroaches and invasive ants. Is why.
0: But we uh, insisted on uh, alienating and creating factionalism with the aid of internet applications like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. John and I were at Omnibus Project at all of them. We are
1: individually at Ken Jennings on Twitter and at John Roderick uh, on Twitter and Instagram. It's important that you follow me on Twitter so that I can begin to get to within 10% of Ken's following because I feel like I have a legitimacy issue.
0: Well, yeah, we are dividing up our Patreon profits according to Twitter follower share, <laughs> and r- right now that really favors me. So follow at John Roderick, even if you never go on Twitter, just bu- just bulk you, me up. Are you going to ask people to unfollow me as well? Because like, that'll double no, no. your that'll double your lead if no, every single person switches over.
1: You're good on Twitter. You're hilarious there. I w- I, I would never try and deprive people of your uh, of your Punic humor. Your Punic humor. <laughs> <laughs> Pubic humor?
0: I don't feel like I make puns on Twitter. I don't. I don't no, like no, no, puns. no. It's very top and really I don't topical. like myself when I make puns. If you want to communicate directly with John and me, if you feel you have important input and a way to access us electronically, uh, our email address was the Omnibus at Gmail dot com. People send us physical items as well through the U.S. mail, which I'm sure does not exist in your era, but. Um, Look at this! We just got a postcard that says Bonaparte. It's got the Bonaparte family tree.
1: Oh, Bonaparte! You're going to show your mom? No, I don't want to infuriate her.
0: Here's one from Plymouth Rock. Thought you gentlemen would like a nice look at the rock. There oh, it is. You can you. see how
1: it's cemented together.
0: Histo- historic Plymouth Rock. This seems like a very old postcard. Like I don't think this person purchased this in May 2019 when he or she visited.
1: They found it in a uh,
0: in a junk store or found something.
1: Through store, yeah. You got a baseball
0: cap for the. Uh, Rocket City Trash Pandas, nice. a raccoon-themed minor league team. Why do you say it's mine? I think they, uh, I think they specifically they mentioned you, that. I Let think. me see that. Let me see that. Do you know wh- where what or where Rocket City is?
1: What or where Rocket City is? Well, wait a minute. It, wouldn't it be Houston? Where do they build? Close. Oh no, no, no. no. I'm uh, sorry.
0: You're getting there. It's in Alabama. That's correct. That's the Huntsville, Alabama minor league yeah. club. For I don't know whom. But uh, it's a I'm nice. It's one of these baseball minor league teams that's trying to sell more merch with a by kind of memifying, yep. like that team that in Albuquerque that named their minor league team after this, the f- fictional Simpsons team. Oh, they renamed their minor league team the Isotopes after a single Simpsons episode,
1: <laughs> and then I think
0: they were immediately selling more merchandise than the Mets.
1: Yeah, here, here.
0: That <laughs> doesn't take much. That's like three jerseys. Uh, You can, if you want to contribute financially, I mean, one thing you could do is buy a bunch of minor league baseball merchandise and send it to John. that
1: doesn't help us.
0: Or you could pledge it to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Project. The show, of course, stays free and unchanged and on your feed twice a week for the foreseeable future.
1: You you sound like me all of a sudden with your something caught in your throat. I know, I have a lot of gravitas
0: right now. I think it's time for me to say something emotional. We really... John and I are so moved by all the support we've received from our listeners. Oh, the hat looks good. Thanks. Very nice. Very nice. But with the headphones over it, you kind of look like I don't know. I look like uh, the helicopter or the the pilot, <laughs> the helicopter pilot from doing, uh, from the team. Yeah, I you were, <laughs> Are you going to do the traffic updates? It's kind of an Alex Jones quality, actually. Um, uh, that's not what I want. Uh, so patreon.com slash omnibusproject to support the show. Uh, you can... Did I put the, did I the address for mailing us physical stuff? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, all this stuff got to us because someone sent it to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. If what you're looking for is a good time, and really, who among us is not? Heard that. Uh, we can recommend the Futurelings Facebook group, uh, where... Listeners of the show congregate in this era, and uh, it's Reddit equivalent. Some subreddit called what did you say? Omnibus underscore project. Yeah, or podcast or future Omnibus underscore podcast, and then future, links, future links. I think we're, we're trying to get that going. Right now, it's kind of a struggling little uh, Reddit biosphere. If you're a Reddit, too many goats.
1: Yeah, if you're a redditor, you could find these two places, and and I'm hoping that the two factions will reunite and and form one subreddit. Because I have no idea why. 300 people over here would need to be discussing something 300 people over there couldn't. Yeah, what happened? What
0: schism happened to divide the omnibus know. listeners of Reddit? Yeah, I, don't I don't know. I bet it I bet it was seemed like a pretty big deal at the time. Mm-hmm. That's my experience with subreddit drama.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Futurelings from our vantage point in your distant past when we were confined to one and a half biospheres. We have no idea how long our civilization survived. But we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come, and we are forced to retreat to our refugia. Uh,
0: I'm going to go to I'm going to go to Oracle, Arizona, and head into Biosphere. What? I mean, is it is it
1: radiation proof? You a lot of other proof? fools? No, I don't think so.
0: I'm going to be the only one who remembers. There's not a lot of Biosphere awareness in our era. You know, if you lived through it, it was to cover a Newsweek stuff, right? And now nobody remembers. I think I'm going to be the only one there.
1: Well, yeah, maybe. Oh, you and some University of Arizona undergraduates, which sounds pretty That's good right. to me. right. I'm going to repopulate
0: the earth with the <laughs> University of Arizona women's volleyball team.
1: Uh, if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence, in the form of John Allen, allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the office.